And welcome to episode five of Hangout in the Holy Land 2020. Uh, we are about, a, about what, three? It's a Wednesday, so we're, what, Thursday, Friday? About two, two and a half, three days out from uh, the the thrilling primetime matchup between the Ohio State Buckeyes and those those feisty uh, Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I, I hesitate to use the word Scarlet just because that's very much uh, the, the Buckeyes flagship color, but I guess, we'll call them the Rutgers Knights uh, for the sake of the show. But I'm joined as always by my co-host Gene Ross. Gene, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, I'm excited for Greg Schiano and the boys to come to town. But uh, otherwise, I mean, life's pretty good. It feels like fall now outside. It's getting real chilly, real fast. So it's it's definitely starting to feel like football weather out there. Yeah, the November nip is definitely in the air. And yeah, I, I look forward to breaking down more book, uh, Buckeye football now that I'm not, you know, Hung over from too many Kit Kats and uh, craft Halloween beverages uh, as we were on Sunday when we were uh, breaking down the immediate aftermath of what for some was a disastrous 38 to 25 victory uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes over the Nittany Lions of Penn State. But uh, there is another game to play uh, this upcoming week, obviously not as uh not as much of an intimidating matchup, not only given the Buckeyes are at home as opposed to in Happy Valley, but it's also against uh, who have been, you know, colloquially re- colloquially referred to as uh, the whipping boy of the Big Ten in recent years in Rutgers. Uh, definitely a little bit uh, better, at least in the early stages of the season. I think some people expected they, you know, had a pretty competitive game against Indiana this past weekend, and obviously had that big upset of uh, Rutgers to start or Michigan State rather uh, to start the season. But before we get into that, as I said, now that we we've got a little bit uh, clearer judgment a few days out and after a rewatch of that Ohio State Penn State game, is there uh, anything else you that stood out to you that uh, you know you're kind of building off of? what your observations were from our previous show. Yeah, sure. You know, it was good to see around the Ohio State world that it wasn't just our followers that were like really down on the game. I listened to a few, you know, other Ohio State podcasts and it seemed like their audiences kind of had the same feel and all like the podcast hosts were kind of on our side where it was like, we're just trying to tell people like, you know, don't freak out. It was it was a really good game for the for the Buckeyes, all things considered. It's game two, and it was against their toughest opponent, and they looked really good. But I did have a chance to rewatch the game today, and I had some different takeaways than maybe I had the, the time before. I mean, more or less, it was basically the same. But, like, I thought that on second watch, a lot of the breakdowns in the secondary were actually, like, it was more just, like, weird linebacker stuff when they were running crossing routes than it was the corners. And, like, Sean Wade didn't have his best game of the year. But um, I don't think the corners were as big of a problem as people made them out to be post-game. Um, I also thought that like some of the unsung heroes from that game, I thought the tight ends played great. Obviously, Jeremy Ruckert had the two touchdown catches, but like I think the tight ends as a whole were blocking really well. They were running some nice crisp routes. They were open when Justin Fields needed him as a check down. So I think the tight ends were one of the unsung heroes. And then Pete Werner, I mean, just rewatching that game, Pete Werner was all over the field. He was making plays in the backfield. He was making plays in the passing game. There were some times where he was matched up one-on-one with uh, Pat Fryermuth, who was doing a great job. And so he looked really good. And then and um, on the offensive side, again, uh, the offensive line played really, really well. They opened up some nice holes in the run game. Their pass blocking was phenomenal, uh, especially NPF and uh, Thayer Munford on the outsides. They both looked really good, didn't allow any pressures against this first-round defensive ends for Penn State. And the two sacks, uh, one of them, Wyatt Davis, literally slipped on, like, that little— their field wasn't great. I know it's real grass. It wasn't—it was kind of wet. Wyatt Davis slipped dropping back, and then Justin Fields trying to evade the sack also slipped. And so that led to one of the sacks. And then the other one 
one was just a complete sellout blitz on the left side that nobody really picked up that hit home. That was the one where Justin Fields got blindsided. But, you know, other than that, I think those are really my biggest takeaways upon rewatch. I still felt really good about it, if not even better about it on the second time around. Yeah, I'll say there's there's definitely room for improvement on both sides. I think that the obviously the offense at this stage has less to work on, I think, than the defense does. But uh, they're still not quite, I think, to the level that they were last year with the run game. And I think a lot of people, at least in, in the immediate optics, were willing to put that on. Oh, I don't, you know, Sermon doesn't have it. If if you're, you know, comparing the Dobbins and Teague dynamic last year to the Teague Sermon dynamic that exists now, you're saying that Sermon isn't necessarily in the place that Teague was last year. That Teague was hitting the holes a lot harder and just more explosive going down the field. Of course, Teague also had the benefit of playing, you know, behind a, a, a running back that really was able to more effectively, I think, wear down a defense over the course of the game. But I think that, you know, Sermon, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it struggles again because the guy, you know, got 56 yards on what, 13 carries last game. So he's still getting a pretty decent average there, but he he definitely didn't have as much pop or flash as Teague did, didn't, you know, really do as much in the in the red zone. And you kind of saw the coaches more leaning, I think, towards using Sermon as a red zone back rather than that that third down role that uh, he should probably be more suited for just given his uh, proficiency, I think, with playing and passing sets. Um, when not being used as a blocker. So they kind of hope to see that his role, you know, kind of shifts more in that direction. And I think this game probably serves as a good uh, observation for that going forward, given, you know, not only how Sermon didn't really do great in the red zone, but also how Teague, you know, excelled and was really able to get them down to the goal line when they tried to lean on him for that. But as for the offensive line, which I think, you know, has more room to grow rather than the running back room does, um, you're still seeing, I think, with the running game that Nicholas Petit Frere and Harry Miller, just from not having as much experience as the other guys that are along that line, not quite as comfortable with doing the zone runs yet. Um, this is something I, I've seen in particular with Miller the last two games is that he just seems like he he seems like he's a step and a half behind relative to everyone else when you know, making that initial block along the defensive line and then trying to free the guy up next to you or yourself to go to the next level and get the running back. A lot of those plays that Teague had in this game where, you know, he was meeting a linebacker and then, you know, he'd be able to get away and then, you know, kind of break forward for another five or so yards. You know, those are plays that last year could have potentially been touchdowns just because the execution last year when you still had – uh, Brandon Bowen and and uh, Jonah Jackson in the roles that Petit Frere and and Harry Miller in now, they the the linebackers at the next level just aren't getting hit at the same uh, or as early on in the play as they were last year and you know just getting zoned off and opening up those lanes so that that's something that I think is going to be good to watch for the next few weeks as Ohio State kind of has a few more tune up games at times to get right before they get a really another really good challenge but that's where you're going to need to see the improvement i think for this team going forward is are those inexperienced linemen getting in the position they need to be for the running game to be effective and that's going to open up everything even more for the pass and just you know making sure that ohio state can hold those leads and run out the clock when they need to uh, against their better competition. Yeah, I'm also curious to see if they stick with their current defensive scenarios. So like I think personally 
Ohio State's third down set should be their every down set. And I mean, basically what that means is they bring in Proctor and they play him close to the line as the bullet, and then they play Hooker up top as the one high safety. But there were times on Saturday where they had two high safeties with Proctor and Hooker both out there, and then they had three corners on the field with two linebackers. And then there was another set where they had Baron Browning as a down defensive end on the line. So they had a bunch of different sets. I really think their third down set with Proctor and the bullet is their best defensive look they went to it a lot in the fourth when uh when penn state was exclusively passing and didn't have a lot of time left and it went really well both in runs and in the passing game so i do think that that's that's their best set and i'm interested to see if they switch to more of that moving forward instead of the traditional you know three linebacker sets that they've been primarily using that's a cute way of you saying you want tough Borland off the field as much as possible. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. I, like I said, tough Borland played well on Saturday against the run specifically, but there were times in the passing game on rewatch where he was just, you know, running around in circles. And that's obviously not his strong suit. And he plays to his strong suits when they're in the run game. But in the passing game, he's a liability. And I'll, it's interesting to see how they use him moving forward. I will say there was the one dragon that I think this offense has yet to slay. And it's really because they haven't played a team that runs it very very well yet is they they get beat pretty frequently on RPO and you saw Penn State pretty often have success with it when they were doing that this game as opposed to whenever they were going read option Ohio State who like as we've talked about has struggled against quarterbacks that excel running read option in recent years but they did a really good job against Sean Clifford in this game but then as you know they had to start playing more catch-up but they still wanted to incorporate that threat of, you know, will will he or won't he at the quarterback in terms of running. Uh, you know, the RPO kind of lent itself to having that element while springing guys open. And I think there were more than a few plays where they were able to just really hit guys over the middle because the linebackers were overcommitting to, you know, stopping the read on whether the running back or the quarterback was going to get it on the ground. And then it'd just be really easy for Clifford to pop back and just drop a pass over the middle that would just go beyond the fingertips of the linebacker in the corner. So that's... Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I meant in the beginning when I said that a lot of the passing breakdowns were more on the linebackers than the corners. Because like you said, there were a lot of those RPO plays where like the linebackers just kind of overcommitted to stopping Clifford in the wrong game, and then they hit those quick hitters over the middle. So I think you're 100% right on that. And I will say too that with respect to the corner, it seemed like they, they never really got just in terms of where the coaches were telling them to line up pre-snap, it seems like they never really got a comfortable distance this game, um, or at least in the later stages of the game with respect to where how far they should be playing off the ball. Like I think on uh, – not, not on the drive where Dotson had those two back-to-back catches because I think on that drive they were playing more aggressively up. But then on, I think it was on the following drive where they you know still ended up giving up a score uh, to Penn State – they you saw Wade and Banks along both sidelines playing at least like 10 yards off of their guys and that was just freeing up a lot of really easy like inside routes from the sideline for guys to just you know run like five yards up and then make a slant or something and not really have to deal with a lot of pressure from the secondary with respect to making the catch and then I, they and then when they thought the way they thought they could fix that was just by having guys play up very aggressively as it got closer down to the red zone, and that didn't end up working either. I think on the the play that set up Penn State's last touchdown, it, Wade was playing directly up on his man on a, a route that he had just got beaten on on that just that inside slant that's a little bit more than like five or ten yards up. 
and uh, it, it didn't end up working either. So they just they they never really got to play in like that intermediate range where they'd kind of be able to more easily read the routes if they were going to the inside. So I it's I don't know the the, the secondary still's got it still has some kinks to work out. Not just from you know below Sean Wade where we knew the inexperience was going to be a bit of an issue for everybody, but even Wade himself just needs to get a little bit more comfortable playing on the outside and figuring out which. Not only which side of the field he field he's going to do better on, but where where his range is most comfortable with respect to lining up against those outside receivers. Yeah, I think the corners definitely have some footwork stuff they got to work on. There was one drive specifically where uh, Seven Banks was like he was on the sideline, but he was like he started the drive instead of like facing the receiver, he was facing in on the field, and then the wide receiver just hit him on an out route, and he had no chance to flip his feet and catch up. So I'm sure that stuff Kerry Combs going to see in film, and they'll work on that. So I'm not I'm not overly worried. Like we said, we got a ton of tune up games coming up, so I'm sure they'll figure that out. These guys are talented; they'll they'll get it together. Yeah, they got it. We we trust them. They got good coaches. Um, and you know, what a better opponent to figure it out against than, uh, you know, the, the Rutgers Knights, not, not the most impressive showing from them directly out of the gate. Although they definitely, um, look pretty interesting against Michigan state. I will say that I think, you know, any game where you've got to combine more than what, 10 turnovers from both teams, it's hard to draw more, you know. Yeah. And Rutgers, Rutgers isn't a, isn't a pushover this year. Like they usually are. I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to be world beaters. They're not going to beat anybody with significant talent, but as a, compared to past years where every team beat them by 50, I mean, they already have a big 10 win this year. So they're ahead of the game from where they would usually be at this point in the year. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess. But so, do you, are you, you know, really taking a lot from that first win that they had against Michigan State, or do you, are you really relying more on what their last game against Indiana had in terms of what your kind of outlook is for them going forward and coming into this game against Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, a win's a win any way you could get it in the Big Ten. And as we saw, Mich- I mean, I thought Michigan State was just going to be the worst team in the Big Ten, but Michigan proved to us that that's not true. <laughs> so uh, I don't really know what to make of Rutgers. I don't think they're going to be a real threat to anybody in the upper half of the of the conference, but... I mean, I think they're going to, you know, be a little more competitive. I don't think they're going to be playing a lot of fourth quarter games where it's it's in doubt for the other team. But like we saw against Indiana last week, I mean, they hung around for a while. The, that first half, they were in it the whole time. It really only got away from them in the second half when the, the talent gap started to show itself. But, I mean, and Greg Schiano's got them playing a little better than they were. It's going to take some time to build that program up. But they're uh, they're not just the laughing stock of the Big Ten this year, at least for now. Yeah, I I do think that... You know, there there were some people that were more optimistic about them than Michigan State coming in for sure. I, I do wonder if that first game maybe vaulted expectations forward for Rutgers a little bit more than what they should be. Um, the offense is incomplete. There's definitely some great pieces there. They, they seem like they've got a really solid room of running backs. Um, and, you know, their quarterback seems like a viable read option threat in his own right. But the passing game just seems incomplete with respect to having a QB that they I think they've got a guy that can make nice, you know, fade throws and Noah Vedral. But those usually require, you know, feet being set and clean pockets and their clean pockets are not something they have the liberty of right now. And even though they've got a guy that's mobile, he's not necessarily the best throwing the ball on the run. Um, so being able to you know get out of a clean pocket and then reset your feet to be able to make clean throws is is never a simple task and not one that's normally schemed into a lot of plays. So I think that 
they've got a lot of uh, unproven receiving talent to go alongside with that. Um, so it's it's gonna be tough. Their their offense right now, uh, they rank 47th in scoring offense in the country. They're 101st in total offense. So I mean, they're not they're not doing great things out there. But Noah Vedrill, their quarterback, he's a transfer from Nebraska, former three star prospect. On the air, he's completed 62 percent of his passes for 298 yards, three tutties, four interceptions. Uh, they got they got a good wide receiver in Bo Melton. He's already got eight catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns. He was a four star prospect out of New Jersey. So I mean, they have some things working on offense. I'm actually surprised that their run game isn't as good. And I guess it just comes down to the offensive line because Isaiah Pacheco was really good for them last year. And now on the year this year, he's their leading back with only 87 yards on 29 touches with a pair of touchdowns. So their offense, I mean, they've got some guys that could put things together, but it's leaving a lot to be desired early in the year. I guess the big thing for me is that they don't particularly do well with either side of the line of scrimmage. And you just alluded to the offensive line being the, the issues that are kind of holding them back on offense. And then defense too. I mean, you can see that think against they only have like three quarterback pressures against indiana and you know michael Penix is not an easy guy to you know get after by any stretch but you you still you know would like to see more than that they only had one sack in that game as well so i think that if you're you're a team that's you know struggling to really establish a presence on both sides of the line of scrimmage um you're gonna struggle in a lot of games so that's why i and this is particularly true when you're facing a, a team like Ohio State, who I think you can pretty clearly say won the game against Penn State last week because they were so dominant on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So for you know, whenever you're you're looking at a team that just the, the talent in the trenches just doesn't match up, it makes for a uh, much less intimidating matchup than I think you would have otherwise. So we we both feel a little bit differently about Rutgers, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to win football games. Got to win football games in the trenches. Um, when it comes to their defense, I mean, their numbers are are not very good. They're 90th in scoring defense, 110th in pass defense. Surprisingly, their run defense has been pretty good. And I mean, they went up against Michigan State and Indiana, two teams that aren't exactly running the ball very well. But uh, yeah, they're 34th in run defense, and their their linebacker core is the strength of their defense. They got uh, Tyshawn Fogg, who was a 2019 All Big Ten honorable mention. He leads the team with 20 tackles, three tackles for a loss and they have uh everyone's favorite former ohio state safety ohio state transfer brendan white who i'm still upset we couldn't find a role for on the defense because i really liked him at ohio state but he's off to a good start he's third on the team with 15 tackles and he's already got a pick on the year so they've got some guys to make plays on that side of the ball but like you said you know the defensive line hasn't been very strong and when you don't win on when you don't win in the trenches it's tough to win football games in the big 10 so where do you think that if rutgers is going to make this game competitive which we we don't anticipate it will be but I mean, even last year, I, I think after not surrendering a touchdown to them for, what, two years, that, that giving up 21 points was something that, uh, I mean, I, I personally didn't enjoy seeing it. I think a lot of other Ohio State fans didn't like seeing it at the time either. So where where do you think that, you know, if, if Rutgers is going to make Ohio State and their fans squirm, how do you think that they're going to be able to get that done? I mean, just looking across the board, I really don't even see a way they could do it. But I guess, I guess if you if you have to twist my arm and make me pick an area, I, I guess they'd have to keep doing what they've been doing best and just stopping the run game. And I mean, once you do that and you put the ball in Justin Fields' hands, you're probably just going to get even worse torch than you would have if you would just let us run it, run some clock. But 
I mean, yeah, I guess that is the strength. I mean, Noah Vigil's been okay. He's hit some throws. And like I said, Bo Melton's pretty good. So, I mean, if they could, if the corners aren't, you know, if they're still struggling out there, they can maybe hit some things over the top and get a touchdown or two to make things, not to make things interesting, but put points on the board. But I just don't see a way across the board that this team even like keeps things remotely competitive, which is the, the talent gap between these two teams being so apparent. Yeah. So I think that, I think the ideal scenario for Rutgers in this game is you establish the run early, which which isn't going to be something that's necessarily easy to do, but they've got running backs that, you know, if they make, you know, one or two guys miss, they could, you know, suddenly end up making this a bit more of a headache just in terms of seeing those gains being given up than, you know, would otherwise be uh, palatable. And uh, if they're not correctly committed to stopping Noah Vedral as a runner, I think that he could probably make them pay with a couple, you know, otherwise easy gimme first downs that otherwise would have been hard to come by for other opponents. But I think that if they're kind of able to, you know, move the ball along that way and then, you know, I, I anticipate that Ohio state's pass rush is going to be able to get after them early and often. So I think the key for them is going to be if they're doing, if Rutgers is doing quick throws, they know where their, you know, first and second reads are immediately and they're focused either on those or, you know, getting out and, you know, just getting the ball away or keeping things safe. Uh, I think that they might be able to have some early success in terms of moving the ball and just, you know, getting some kind of scoring up. But again, they they have that weird absence that exists with Vedral, which is can set the feet and throw and can beat you with his feet running the ball. But the the inter, the intermediate stage there of of getting out of the pocket and then getting you know into running space just isn't there like it is with a lot of other mobile guys. So if Ohio State's breaking down that pocket early and often, I don't think he's going to be in a position where he's kind of able to do the improvisational beat you with his feet thing that a lot of these quarterbacks that have that component are able to do to take advantage of Ohio State. So I I want to say this would be kind of a good stress test just in terms of for. Um, you know, a lot of players on the Ohio State defense that we need to see, you know, kind of get tested a little bit. You, you figure Rutgers is going to be in a lot more throwing situations as this game goes on and the lead starts to kind of get away from them. But we'll we'll see how, uh, you know, Ryan Day and Kerry Coombs react with personnel and, you know, whether or not they feel like they they want to give guys that need a bit more experience that they're probably going to need to need to rely on later in the season. Um, we'll we'll see if they opt to give those guys a shot. But in any event, we both feel pretty good about how they're going to be able to manage uh, holding Rutgers back from making this a shootout, I think. Best case scenario for Rutgers is that Justin Fields forgets there's a football game going on on Saturday. <laughs> that is, they, if they, that is their best path to a win. If like Justin Fields, uh, Pete Werner, the entire offensive and defensive lines, and Ryan Day all forget to show up to the stadium, then Rutgers might have a chance. Yeah, Fields, God bless him, right now seems like the only two things he cares about in life are football and hanging out with his dog. So unless unless they bring uh, Sam. Same here. Yeah, unless they bring the dog out onto the field for this one, I think uh, Justin's going to be pretty locked in. I think Uno Fields could put up some rushing yards in this game yeah. towards the end, depending on how lopsided it is. I think you could put a lot of creatures at running back for Ohio State, and they'd still find their way to fall forward for yards, thankfully, behind this offensive line. Um, so I've 
I, I've kind of voiced what I think Ohio State needs to focus on improving in this game, just with respect to fine tuning the the zone running game and you know getting Trey Sermon and and T or rather yeah no Master Teague and Trey Sermon more situated in what their respective roles should be going forward. But where would you like to see Ohio State take strides uh, as they try to go for a victory in this one? Yeah, I think, like you said, just cleaning up some of the stuff in the run game, you know, getting on the same page, especially on some of those inside zone runs. You know, those have been really the ones that have kind of been a little tricky early on in the year. I think just the straight up, you know, regular runs up the middle and just stuff that's like normal blocking one-on-ones, they've been really good at. But some of the inside zone stuff, they've had some, you know, miscommunication, some missed blocks, and it's led to, you know, no gain runs. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be good for the secondary to maybe, you know, they play under less stress. Like there's probably not going to be a point in the game where they're worried they have to make a player they're going to lose so they could play a little loose out there maybe get get some of that footing like I said cleaned up on the in the secondary and I think those are two two of the main areas to focus on maybe I mean we're not going to see Ohio State pull out any anything funky here they're not going to empty the playbook for Rutgers it's probably gonna be a pretty boring generic offense but I mean that's really all you need to put up probably 50 or more points on Rutgers so uh, nothing crazy I think you alluded at the top of the show that uh Ohio State's never posted 60 on Rutgers. Correct. Do you think that we get that this weekend? Uh, well, Ohio State, since Rutgers joined the Big Ten in 2014, Ohio State is 6-0 and against Rutgers, but like you said, they have never scored 60 points. Their biggest margin of victory was 58-0 in 2016, and their average margin of victory was is, is 46 and a half. So um, I don't I don't think they're going to put up 60 this week. I think Ryan Day still has a little bit of respect for, for Greg Schiano. He's not going to want to run it up too big, but he is going to want to get some style points. So if I if I had to make a guess on score, and we were, we were both off last week, you were a little closer than I was, but I, I'm thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of probably like a 56 to 13 affair. I think that's pretty fair. I think Rutgers, you know, maybe they'll get a touchdown early. Maybe they'll get one or, or two field goals sometime, maybe in garbage time or whatever. But I think they're, they're not going to get shut out. I don't think Ohio State's defense is clicking on all cylinders yet where something like that would be possible. But I'm going to go with 56-13. Justin Fields is probably going to play maybe a little bit out of one half, maybe like a half and a drive. But uh, anything more than that, I'd be a little surprised if they need him out there still. See, I think Ryan Day was on that 2018 staff, and he's secretly incensed that his his guys weren't able to get to go to the college football playoff because Mr. Greg Schiano's defense just for whatever reason, felt like they had to give up 200 rushing yards per game to Chattanooga State or whatever low-level team was rolling out against the Buckeyes that year uh, in or out of conference. I think Ryan Day is respectful, but I think it's I think it's all crocodile smiles for Greg Schiano. I think he's going to eat his soul this weekend. Ohio State is getting that 60 piece. I don't know how many points he's going to give up. It's kind of at the discretion of whatever, you know, Day and Coombs wants. I'm going to, you know, just based on the some of the miscues last year and the fact that Rutgers is going to be needing aggressively to play catch up to stay in it. I'm going to say they get 17. It'll probably be less than that, but I'm going to say 17 and I'm going to say that with you know the just the weird state of the kicking game that we're probably going to see Ohio State go for a lot more touchdowns than they do field goals in this one and I'm going to say 63 to 17 let's go bucks I love it. Step on throats early. I don't care if it's Rutgers. Put the points up. What's crazy, you know, you talk about the Greg Schiano defense. What's still crazy to me is that 
the the defense that year, all of those same players, more or less, came back in 2019, and they were the best defense in college football a year after they were the worst defense in college football. So that just goes to show you how important coaching is in college football. Stay scheming. It's 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 the name of the game. Yeah, I mean, you can have all the best personnel in the world, but you know, if you got the wrong guy managing them or developing them, you know, just not the right people in their ear can send them in a whole different mess of direction. That's why every five-star recruit doesn't end up in the NFL. It's just the way that these things go. But we know for the most part, Ohio State hires the right people for the job. It's just uh, for for a while they had a they they had a guy who is uh, you know not you know not the sharpest tool in the shed. I think with respect to you know defending these modern offenses uh, that was unfortunately at the helm for the Buckeyes then. But uh, you know we. We've we've moved on, and you know all the best to Mr. Greg Schiano, except for uh, you know this coming weekend. But it's like like we said, there's only one team that really gets to claim the color of scarlet, not just uh, in the Big Ten, but in the greater scheme of college football. So we we both feel pretty good about Ohio State. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up for here. Uh, we will be back in your ear on Sunday with a quick recap of uh, the results from the Ohio State Rutgers game. And then later next week, we'll be giving you a quick preview for the impending big time matchup against uh, Maryland and uh, uh, Talia Tagovailoa. Is that the right? That's the right. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Talia Tugavailoa. Either way, I mean, yeah, it's go. it's going to be just Rutgers 2.0 for the more or less. Maybe Rutgers with a slightly better offense. Yeah, no, it'll be it'll be good. It'll be another uh, good test. That's not really a test. I, I don't know what would you call it. It'll be I. It, would it study prep, study guides? I don't know if you guys ever did those in prepping for tests in middle school. I think that's probably more of a. It, you wouldn't quite call these games tests, but they'll be they'll be good study guides for uh, Ohio State going forward as they try to get better for uh, you know the higher profile matchups and offenses they're going to face throughout the rest of the year. But in any event, uh, we want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner, and uh, this has been Hang Out in the Holy Land, Episode 5, and we'll be back Sunday with a recap of the Rutgers game. Until then, stay safe, uh, enjoy the start of your November, and uh, go Bucks. Take care, folks. See you Sunday. <laughs>